and welcome to the Inclusion Solution Live podcast. I'm Gabby Gonzalez, here with my amazing co-host, Mary Frances Winters, who is the founder and CEO of the Winters Group. She is also the lead author of our favorite topic to talk about around here, which is our new book, Racial Justice at Work, Practical Solutions for Systemic Change. We are also here today with our wonderful colleague and co-author, Megan Ellinghausen. Hello, Megan. Hi. <laughs> um, and we're going to go ahead and do a quick check-in, just see how are we entering today. Megan, will you start us off? Yeah, I'm feeling good. As a member of the marketing team with the Winters Group, I am usually behind the scenes. So it is kind of weird to be the content of the podcast rather than the one producing it for once. <laughs> Well, we are so happy that you are here uh, with us today as uh, as an author and a producer and our social um, media me, social media guru extraordinaire. That is really great. I am checking in. Great, Gabby. Um, yeah, just really feeling really good today. Okay, and I'm entering on the same wavelength as all of you. So, so, so Megan, tell us. Tell us more about you. Tell us more about why this chapter, how algorithms automate bias. I learned so much from your chapter um, that I just had no idea about. Um, and it was just a, a really, really fascinating chapter. So the floor is yours. Well, thank you. That was the goal to get people to learn. So I'm glad it worked. Um, I am the marketing and branding specialist for the Winters Group. So I handle all the social media, emails, website, branding, a lot of the external communication. Um, and those who follow the Winters Group on social media are usually very surprised to find out that it's me commenting back to them and responding. I am the, the secret behind it all. Um, and I just really love being able to work at this intersection of communication and diversity and inclusion work because it's a very unique position, I think, that challenges me to look at marketing through a justice lens and also to look at justice through a marketing lens and kind of figure out the middle ground for that. So it's a very unique job that I think a lot of the traditional marketing roles are broken in this work. Um, and aside from my work roles, I am a white, cisgendered, heterosexual woman and an able-bodied Gen Zer. Um, and I think that had a big impact in writing my chapter because as a Gen Zer, I grew up with technology, I grew up with social media, and I think that changes my perception of it a lot compared to other generations. And I certainly understand and feel the impact myself of how negative social media can be, but I also really believe in the power of it to create positive spaces and social change you know, through the digital world. And so when writing this chapter, how algorithms automate bias, it wasn't really until I started working for the Winters Group and posting online about dismantling systems and white supremacy and disrupting inequities. And if we ever use the word reparations online, you know, that I really started to see the impact of how biased technology is and specifically the algorithms that are built within these platforms really are. So our accounts of the Winters Group are reported and trolled on and shadow banned all the time. Um, and shadow banning is when your account on Instagram is still up, it's not you know banned or reported, but it's basically hidden from the rest of the world. So if you search for it, it doesn't come up. None of your content will be trending. you know it, it basically hides us from the internet. 
So it makes it really difficult to educate people and have conversations because we're effectively silenced online. And some of the comments we get are laughable, <laughs> how ridiculous they are, but then sometimes they get really serious. You know, we've gotten death threats to our accounts before for the type of content that we put out. And if we're silenced from even using these words, how are we ever gonna educate people and have conversations about them? So that's when I started to kind of become more interested in technology and artificial intelligence and how this can uphold systems. And I think it's important to also, for those who aren't familiar with algorithms, they are a form of artificial intelligence or AI. So they're step-by-step -step instructions that a computer follows to perform a task. So the algorithm can comb through data and may start making you know, predictions, which is how you know, Netflix offers you movie suggestions that you like, or your social media feeds are all content that you like is because of algorithms, but they have a dark side, obviously. And that is kind of how I started to get into that. And the banning of a social media account seems really minor to some people, but it's a form of racism and you know discrimination that's literally built in to these platforms and into our society. And if we think about creators, small businesses, such as the Winters Group, independent consultants who rely on social media to grow their businesses, you know, if they're banned from these platforms, how are they gonna make a living? Mm -hmm. And then these algorithms go all the way to court systems that use it to determine prison sentences. Banks use it to determine, you know, credit worthiness. The police use it for predictive policing. So they can, you know, predict which zip codes are gonna have more crime. And as I'm sure we can all guess, race is a huge factor in that. So then more police are sent to more areas, make more arrests, and it just creates this feedback loop it's all based on an algorithm. So I was kind of introduced to it via social media and then started to see how ingrained technology is in our day to day and how these algorithms, you know, we're giving a pass to these forms of racism, basically. So I hope that people can read the chapter and start to pick up some practical actions to address these inequities. But I also hope people are just introduced to these other ways that racism are you know, is built into our society that we overlook every Absolutely. day. That is actually a great segue because, you know, one of the things that we always like to talk about here is just to kind of get everyone's different um, takes on, you know, what do you, what do you hear or what do you think of when you hear the term racial justice? i um, like, what does that mean to you? And sort of how does that relate to the trends that you're seeing? Lots of trends over the past few years. Having started for the Winters Group before 2020, and then after the murder of George Floyd, I mean, social media for diversity and inclusion work was a different place. Uh, our accounts basically exploded overnight because suddenly it became trendy to care about social change. So people flooded to the Winters Group wanting education and support. And it just became really trendy to throw around terms like justice and equity. And everyone was really quick to post their black squares on Instagram, you know, in solidarity with the black community, and then it was silent. So I think it's really important for people to consider the question of what justice means to them, because when they're making their statement as an organization or holding up their sign at a protest that says, no justice, no peace, it's like, what are you really asking for? Do you know what that means? Do you know what you want when you're saying no justice, no peace? And I think 
specifically white people, aren't considering how that could really shift the dynamics in their lives. And I, I mean, we've seen that a lot with organizations who made their big grand commitments in 2020 to anti-racism. And then a few years later, they're realizing they did not know what they were committing to. And I write in my chapter about technology uses, you know, the buzzworthy term of human-centered design. But when it's all white males that are running technology, the humans that are being centered are white males. So instead we can use a socially conscious design that kind of challenges people to put justice ahead of profit and equity over efficiency. And I think that's a framework for technology, but it's also something we can consider for ourselves. You know, are we as individuals prepared to give up power and even efficiency in our lives if it means equity and justice for other people? And I think if you were to pull social media, everyone would very quickly, oh yes, of course, I, of course I would. But it's like, have you really thought about that? Because myself, as a white woman, a lot of my life would be very different. There are elements of my life that are certainly easier because of my race that I'm probably not even aware of. So it's like, are you really prepared for that to change and to have less you know, efficiency or ease if that means justice for all people? And I think on social media, we're very eager to say we want it without really defining its importance to us. And actually the Wonders Group a few years ago, I think, did an exercise for our brand manifesto. And one of the prompts we considered was, you know, justice would be achieved when X, Y, and Z happens. And not answering with that general, like, oh, equity for all people, because it's like, yes, but what does that mean? You know? And I, I think if we can start to define that and stop just posting on Instagram because it's trendy, making a TikTok because it's a trending hashtag right now, or you know, we see businesses all the time post like top five documentaries to watch to be an anti-racist. And it's like, that's trendy and gonna get you likes and shares, but it's not the work. And I, I think there are universal elements of justice, but I think everyone kind of has to make their own definition and consider that for themselves. You know, when you're asking for justice and fighting for it, what do you really want to see happen? And from there, I think that's when we can start getting really practical and actionable steps forward. Yeah, that is so powerful. I like the socially conscious, um, rather than human-centered design, socially conscious design. And I, I like, you know, talking about, you know, going beyond some of the performative kinds of things. And so what what might be an action um, or, or actions that people, you know, can take if they're serious about social justice, particularly as it relates to uh, what we've been talking about, you know, technology, algorithms, um, artificial intelligence, all those things that I don't have a deep understanding about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think social media in particular is is tricky with the algorithms. Um, as a social media manager, I don't even try to like outsmart them because it is a game that we are not designed to ever win. So it makes it really hard for us, for example, to grow a community online, but it's not impossible, you know, and, and you can still curate that community of people who are committed to the work that we do. You know, I, I'm not looking for the Winters Group to have millions and millions of followers who don't care about our content. Mm. I want people that are committed and in this with us to create the world, you know, that we want. So there are a few things I try to keep in mind 
as a social media manager and, and someone producing content and representation, appropriation, and I think protection are kind of like the three things I really try to focus on. And representation is a lot more than just, you know, not using stock photos that are all white people because our marketing team jokes all the time about how terrible stock photos can be. You know, it's it shows plus size people only ever at the doctor or people with a disability only ever at physical therapy. And we just want to see people living their lives, you know, and as somebody producing content, we are responsible for that and the image that we're creating and the representation of that in society makes a big impact on whether or not we can bring about justice because it completely changes how people think. So, you know, if we're only using images of black women that are yelling and frustrated, we're reinforcing that stereotype of the quote, angry black woman. So it's in being intentional about not only showing black joy, but also showing, you know, if I need a photo that conveys anger, does it have to be a black woman? Can I use another identity? And, and these are the things that I think that representation online is really important in what we're doing. And then appropriation, you know, it's not lost on me that I am a white woman managing social media for a black owned diversity inclusion company. There are many layers to that. And I try to be mindful of, if I'm producing content, it does not need to come from my voice all the time. So for example, if there's an indigenous holiday, I can repost something from an indigenous account about that holiday and, and lift up another person's voice and amplify them on this platform. And I think that's kind of part of creating a justice-centered platform is lifting that up. And just because you're producing content does not mean that it needs to be your voice. You know, and Gabby, you actually brought up a, a good reminder the other day when we were writing a newsletter about Black History Month and I had sent it to Gabby, you know, for copy edits and she reminded me to center those most impacted and to have their input on the content because again, I'm a white woman writing about Black History Month. Let's get some, you know, input from those most impacted or those with the lived experience that we're talking about at the time. So it's just those little things that I think can be really important on social media specifically because we are curating an experience for people that can really impact them. And then protecting the community is something I take very seriously because like I said, we get a lot of hate and a lot of negativity. And while those attacks are usually not on my identity as a white woman, I don't want our followers who are BIPOC or LGBTQ, for example, to have to see those because I did not invite them to be a part of our community to be harmed. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a responsibility that is lost on a lot of social media managers and is lost kind of in the digital world is that's my responsibility to protect these people. And the internet is nasty and I'm trying to create this little corner of the internet that can be positive and I'm not inviting people into that for them to be harmed. So I think that's, Another big one that I try to think about online is just how can I protect the people that I've invited to be a part of it. And then one thing that I think about a lot that I thought about a lot in writing my chapter too is playing the game of why. So in my graduate program for public interest communications, I took a course on the art and science of storytelling and my professor gave us an assignment 
with the why game. So, you know, little kids will ask why over and over and over again until you finally are just like, because, leave me alone. And he challenged us to do that with the social cause that we were working for. And that really got us to start digging deeper. And that's what I tried to do with my chapter to figure out some of these things going on in tech. You know, I mentioned the tech world is majority white males. So why? And I found research into women and BIPOC's top reason for quitting in tech were workplace culture. Why? And I kept going and I found out, you know, there was no mentorship or support for them because they were always the only in the workplace, the only BIPOC or the only woman. And they were just quitting because they, they had no support in this environment. Why does that happen? And you keep going down this hole and it's because these tech companies recruit from the same schools. They base on referrals. So they hire the same types of people from the same places over and over again. You ask yourself why? And that's when I started to get to the root of it and find research that universities are using risk assessments to assign scores to students on whether administrators think they will succeed. And this happens before students even take a class. So race is a high impact predictor in these you know, risk assessment scores. So BIPOC students were being pushed out of science and engineering before they could even enter the field because it's considered a risky major. So that's how, you know, asking why over and over again, like a little kid, helps you get closer to the heart of the issue. And now you have all these steps laid out that, okay, the problem is tech is run by white males. Now we know we can impact the workplace culture. We can offer mentorship. We can go all the way down to the community level and start helping students in schools and lifting them up rather than pushing them out of these majors. So I always try to ask why over and over again until I can start getting some practical steps forward in, in how to mitigate these issues. That is so powerful, the why, um, and digging deeper because that's how you get at systemic issues, right? That's how you get at the systems because you're just keeping going deeper and deeper and deeper. And I always think of a system as like a big old oak tree or something where the roots are, you know, so deep, right? You can, certain things that you can see, but you've got to get down and down and you've got to get under those roots, under that soil, you know, to see what's there. And, and that's painful, right? <laughs> trying, to, trying, trying to dig deep, but that is, uh, yeah, that is so important. And I think each, everybody, you know, everybody can't do everything, but everybody can do something, right? In terms exactly. of just asking the why, just that that's, that's something that everybody can do. What, you know, why is this? I look around and I see everybody on my team, you know, um, is a white male, for example, ask the question why. Yeah, I see that um, certain kinds of content, um, you know, is not, um, I don't see it, or, you know, on, on the internet, uh, why, right? That's really, really powerful. Yeah, thank and it, you. It just helps to start laying out steps because to your point, you could ask why hundreds of years back, this is a systemic issue. Right. Like, you can right. go all the way back and right. you're not going to be able to solve every issue. Right. But when you start laying out the steps, maybe mm -hmm. you see like, oh, I can actually offer mentorship. That's something mm -hmm. I can do. So right. then you, you can start to find those areas that you can make an impact on or at least just kind of call attention to so people mm -hmm. know that this is an issue and then maybe somebody else can help. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. This is really good. So you've, you've given us so much in terms of the definitions because I was glad you did that. So as you started talking, I said, well, some people may not even know what artificial intelligence is, or some people yeah. may not know what an algorithm, what an <laughs> algorithm is. And I was reading something recently 
uh, that was talking about um, just general trends and they were just saying artificial intelligence is just going to become more and more powerful and take more take over more and more um, of our of our lives and do you see that as um, a good thing I mean I guess I don't want to maybe I shouldn't ask it that but do you see that as something that if we continue the trajectory that we're on that that would do more harm than good or do you see the tra trajectory changing so that more um, artificial intelligence could actually be good I think ultimately if we keep doing what we're doing it's not going to be good um, because this is a conversation that hasn't really even been in, in diversity and inclusion or social justice spaces. People don't know about this kind of stuff, which is why in writing my chapter, I was like, I just want people to know that this exists and then we can kind of start bringing it into the conversation. So I think, I think artificial intelligence and technology can be so powerful and used in such an amazing way. It's just a matter of us. The people how are we using it you know are, are we going to use these algorithms to find all this data and use it to help people and maybe find areas where we can improve or are we going to use it to like the risk assessment scores that are pushing BIPOC students out of STEM majors are we going to use it to weaponize and push people down so I think we have this technology and it's up to us whether we use it for good or or evil, unquote, because, you know, a smartphone, an app, a computer is not going to solve injustices. That's what we have to do. And we can use technology as a tool if we're mindful of how it's currently working and the ways that we need to change it. And, you know, being a social media manager, luckily a lot of my job, I get to be on the internet all day long and read about these things. So. I am seeing it more in trends now where it is entering the conversation. And I think that's kind of a good step. And now we just need to figure out how to mitigate these issues. Otherwise, I don't know if it's going to be good. <laughs> if, if we keep letting it, we're giving it a pass. You know, we're allowing discrimination and racism to be built into our society without really doing anything about it because we just don't know about it. So I, I think if we can start to take action, and use technology for good, then we can definitely see positive change with it if we just become aware. This is so fascinating to me. And I know I'm asking questions that are not on the script. I do have another question, but Gabby, I'm gonna let you jump in here. Okay, yeah, <laughs> I was like, I have another question too. I wanted to, so um, yes, quick question on just, if you could give the listeners a little bit more as far as like just illustrating, like how does this impact like the decisions you make each day when you're doing your job? Um, just what are some things that you feel like you do now that you have this awareness? I do a lot as like as an individual, because I know people look at algorithms and artificial intelligence and think like, oh, that's for somebody who knows what technology is doing. But we're on our computers and our smartphones every single day. So we have a direct impact on how these algorithms work. And in the my chapter, I kind of challenge people to, as you go throughout your day, start to pay attention to how much technology is part of your day-to-day, -day, how much you're touching and how much is determining certain factors of your life. And, and do you know how these algorithms are being used? So a few of the things, you know, on social media, I'm really intentional about curating my feed to be representative 
of what I want it to be. So just taking stock of like, is the content that's being offered to me all white females? Because for a while, absolutely it was. And then start to seek out that other content because algorithms are trained on data. And if you are showing them the actions that you want it to perform, it will. Because at the end of the day, Instagram, Facebook, all these platforms, they want you to spend time on the app. They want you there as much as possible. So, you know, start introducing it to the content you want to see. And I specifically follow hashtags like hashtag indigenous artist. And then I start to get that content into my feed. I engage with it. And now the algorithm knows that's what she wants. It'll feed me more of that because again, Instagram wants me to spend time on the app. They will do what they can to make sure I don't put my phone down. So it's just introducing the type of content you want to see. And on the flip side, avoiding the content that you don't, you know, we see very clickbaity headlines of politicians and you may want to click on it to read the article, but now you're rewarding the algorithm that you like that kind of content. Mm -hmm. And then you start to get more and more in your feed. So it's just a matter of, we can as individuals start to train our algorithms and it takes an intentional effort. You know, we're not going to dismantle the whole system by following a hashtag for, you know, trans artist, but we can start to curate our own feeds and get more of that content ourselves. So it's just, it's a matter of intention, I think. And just starting to, you know, take stock of what's going on in the day to day and how many algorithms and technology you touch on a daily basis, you'll start to see areas where you can be more intentional about the type of content that you're consuming and, and how you're working with algorithms. How about also like what, what you're putting into social media, like what you're, how you're responding, you know, to, you know, whatever might be out there, what advice do you have? I mean, because, because I used to see a lot of angry stuff, right? A lot of hate stuff going on. Right. And um, advice for, you know, when to engage, how to engage and all of that. That's tough because we want to, you know, share our opinion when we see something outrageous. We want to comment on it and be like, no, 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 here's the real truth. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that is you have to protect yourself because social media can be very, very, very negative. You know, I'm a social media manager. I am its number one advocate. I also realize how damaging social media can be. So it's a matter of protecting yourself too. Like the people who comment online, you know, on our post, for example, are trolling us for the sake of getting a reaction. So I don't give them one. I, I know that, you know, they're commenting, they have nothing in their bio, they're not following anybody. It's a fake picture. It's like, they're just doing this to get a reaction. So I just think you have to kind of protect yourself and step away and unfollow certain things if they're bringing, you know, negative content into your feeds and all that. And you can kind of curate your own experience online if you're intentional about what that looks like and, and the type of content you want to engage with. So I always, you know, the more you engage with positive content, the more you will get that in your feeds because the algorithm is, is trained on that data. So on the Winters Group account, I follow a lot of, you know, positive mental health things and, and affirmations. And there's even like good news accounts where all they do is share happy news. And when you do that, the algorithm will introduce you to more of that content. And I just think engaging with the content that 
is positive and that you want to see. And of course, it's important to keep up with the news and the negative things that are happening. But if you don't want to see that on your day to day, you know, Instagram feed, for example, you can step away from it. And if you just don't kind of interact with it at all um, and don't post about it yourself, you know, you want to protect yourself and your friends and family that are following you. So you don't want to post all that negative stuff as well. These are all great intentional tips. So thank you for that. And I just wanted to go back a little bit because um, I love you're so passionate about this and you clearly care so much. And just to kind of make that connection to sort of the, the root of it, I know you did a lot of disability work prior to coming to the Winters Group, correct? Just trying to see like, what what is it that's really driving you to do this work? I've always been interested in like social justice issues. I wanted to work on political campaigns. <laughs> and I realized in politics, the part that I was interested in was the social issues. And I just, I always knew I wanted to do something in that and I wasn't sure how to make it a career, you know, that I could have realistically a stable paying job with. So I, in college, I started working with an equal opportunity office and that's where I started to kind of get more introduced to the disability community and just, I know and have always been aware of that I have certain privileges. And I think even, you know, as younger, I don't think I knew the extent, but I knew that I had a good life. And for reasons, you know, I grew up in white middle-class suburban America that was not lost on me. So I, I think I always just wanted to kind of use that in whatever way I could. And it started working with, you know, a community of people with disabilities and working on the Americans with Disabilities Act. And I just wanted to do something, you know, I wanted to make a difference somewhere. And then graduating college, I got the job with the Winters Group, which I did not know was even a field I could enter. <laughs> I, I remember I got on LinkedIn and I was messaging Marisha, our president and COO, because I was like, you don't understand, I need this job. <laughs> I did not know. come true. I, like, I didn't, I did I didn't know. know that story. <laughs> yes. I was like, I didn't know that I could do marketing in social justice fields. You know, I thought I was just gonna have to do marketing and like volunteer at nonprofits on the side and just have it be like a side thing. And then I realized it could be a job. And, and diving more into it now, you know, I, I went back to grad school and did all this stuff and just have been really interested in that intersection of how can we use communication to power social change movements. And, you know, I, I don't think that I knew what I really wanted to do. And luckily the Winters Group gave me a job fresh out of college and took a chance on me. And it's just been really interesting to kind of figure out like, what is my thing? What am I super interested in? And I've been able to explore a lot of different fields with the Winters Group. And I don't think that I knew technology would be kind of what I got so interested in, but working, you know, on social media just kind of led me down this path. Well, you are doing a great job for the Winters Group, and we really are fortunate uh, to, to have you. Um, this, uh, you. You bring so much, and like you said, you, um, you've explored um, other interests. You didn't know technology was going to be uh, where, you, where you landed, and I know that um, in your graduate program, you were um, acknowledged and honored uh, for um, 
you know, your, uh, how you excelled in that program. Uh, so you might want to just tell us as we're going to wind down a little bit, but tell us a little bit more about um, that experience and what you've been asked to do. Yeah, so I, during 2020, I knew I'd always loved school. I love studying and learning and I just have always loved school. I knew I was going to go back and get a, a graduate degree. And then in 2020, I was like, well, I'm sitting at home all the time anyway. I might as well go back to school now. And I found this program at the University of Florida called Public Interest Communications. And it's a newer field, so I was very excited to find it. But it's all about how you can use communication to drive social change and to create behavioral changes. You know, not just raising awareness, but getting actions from people. So it was a two-year program that I absolutely loved. You know, shout out to the University of Florida. And it just really taught me a lot about how to not just like market these issues, but how do we get people to bring their, you know, online activism to real life? And how do we, you know, beyond signing a petition, but how are you going to make this change in your day-to-day -day life so we can get to the root of these issues and start changing systems? And luckily with the Winters Group, I was kind of, as this was my first job, I was kind of trained by the Winters Group to think about the systemic level. And this was not something that I think had been asked a lot, especially like in this program, a lot of people were focusing on what we can do as a community. And for my final project in the program, we could choose any social cause we wanted. And I dove right into how could I change the tech industry on a systemic level. And I remember my professor was like, oh, wow, you really just went for the entire system. And I was like, I didn't even think this is just what we do at the Winters Group. This is how I was like trained essentially in diversity and inclusion work. So it was really interesting to be able to go deep into that and think about how I can change the system purely through communication and in a marketing campaign. And now, you know, I'm thinking about going back and how can I work more with this program and get involved with it more to kind of get people thinking on that systemic level. You know, we don't just want, I think individual change is how we get to societal and systemic change. And how do we go beyond that? You know, we're not just changing behaviors in our local communities. We want to change the entire system. And how do we think on that big scale of systemic change? So it was really interesting to use what I learned from the Winters Group and think about changing the technology industry as a whole, the entire US-based <laughs> industry. So I certainly made the project harder on myself, but it was very interesting. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, we could keep going. I mean, it is such a pleasure to, to have you in the studio today. Um, but yes, we're, we're getting to, that, to the end here and we do wanna make sure we ask you, how do you fill your cup? Yeah, definitely on social media. It's not, it's not a nice place all the time. So I find that I have to physically step away from it all, leave my desk, leave my apartment and just leave it all at my desk. And luckily I have a big goofy dog that Mary Frances and Gabby know all too well, Paul. <laughs> I think on, we do a team meeting every week and give our updates, you know, highs and lows. And I'm pretty sure every single week 
my updates about Paul. <laughs> so he's a big pit bull and he loves long walks. So luckily he kind of forces me to leave my apartment and go on nice long walks, get outside, listen to a podcast, listen to music, and just kind of physically remove myself from the work for a moment. So luckily, shout out to Paul for <laughs> forcing me to go outside because you know, you're working from home. It's so easy to just lose track of time and sit at your desk. And then he's always making sure to throw some toys at me. So I know we have to leave. Um, I've also really gotten back into reading, you know, being Gen Z, it wasn't that long ago that I was in school and then going back to grad school. So a lot of reading for me has been research studies and papers and journal articles. And now being out of school for now, I am finding my way back to reading for pleasure and just kind of being able to check out and read a book over the weekend and not have to think about the real world. So that's another, another thing I like to do, just kind of recharge. And as a social media manager, I see a lot of the trends and there's one trending on social media right now about this idea of play um, and kind of reclaiming it as a value. Because as kids, you know, we focus so much on playtime and parents always want their kids to have playtime. And then we lose that and just kind of, even like the self-care industry has become so intense that it's almost like, how many books can I read to improve myself? How many workshops can I sign up for? All these things that it's like another job now, even to do self-care. So it's just kind of reclaiming the idea of play. And I recently ordered a paint by number kit. So I don't even have to worry about my artistic ability. <laughs> Absent-mindedly paint. My friend and I are going to a terrarium making class. So I'm literally going to be digging in the dirt, building a terrarium. I live by this rock climbing place that I'm going to go try out. So just kind of trying out new things that are fun for the sake of being fun with no product or goal or benefit in mind other than just having fun and, and having playtime, basically. Playtime. I love it. Playtime. That is going to be my new motto. Playtime. I'm going to add it to my list. Like play like a child, right? Yes, Absolutely. exactly. Oh, this has been wonderful, uh, Megan. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your contribution to the book. Thank you so much for your contribution to the Winters Group. And for our listeners, I know that you um, will just get so much out of this. Please read that chapter because there's so much more in that chapter that we didn't even get to in this um, in this podcast, like how, um, how certain kind of media is actually blocked and how other media is not. I mean, there's just so much. So I, yeah, I think I had one of the longest chapters and we had to cut it a couple of times because right. yeah. I had so much yeah. <laughs> Yes, there is so much. Yeah, thank you so much. And for our listeners, thank you for being here and continue to reimagine racial justice at work. Thank you. Thank you.